millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number three in our series for 2022, and today's date is Friday, February the 18th. Today, I'll be talking to Brisbane-based prestige property buyers agent, Lauren Moore, Lauren is an advocate for buyers who she felt were underrepresented in Brisbane, and despite buyers agents being quite a new service in Queensland, she saw a gap in the market and decided to go for it. And I'll be talking to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James about what's ahead in the market for the week. But now let's talk to Lauren Moore. Well, Lauren, you set yourself up as a sales agent in real estate, and uh, yeah. that's really changed everything. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, originally, originally I was in sales uh, back in the day. Probably when I started in two thousand and twenty, I was I was in the sales role. Now I flipped the switch and I'm working. At, I'm representing buyers in the real estate transaction. So, as a buyer's agent. A buyer's agent, yes. Okay, okay. So, how's that different from what was before? Well, the difference is there was a lot of buyers in the marketplace who needed representation, and the real estate agents have always <laughs> somewhat controlled the narrative in regards to how properties are sold and, and purchased. And so buyers never really had the best representation out there because real estate agents aren't there to work for the buyers. They're work, there to work for the seller. So they're there to get the best price for the seller in the market. And what I found with local purchases in my marketplace was that there was an increasing frustration because they were missing out on properties they didn't have, there was so much competition that they were getting driven up in price dramatically and they were overpaying for properties or just missing out when making significant offers on properties. So I really saw it as an opportunity to come in and represent the buyer and actually give them some sort of equal playing field. And you're based in Brisbane, aren't you? I am based in Brisbane, yes. I'm based in inner city Brisbane. Right. So are you just working in that inner city area? I, I work sort of the inner north. So New Farm, Ascot, Clayfield, Wilston, Windsor, Paddington, Barden. And I have another girl who works with me, Jill, and she works on the south side of Brisbane. So she does Yoronga, Tarragindi. She also does Chelmer, Graceful. So basically we do the more prestige suburbs in Brisbane. Where, where This is where there is a fair bit of liquidity and people are actually looking for property. And the property exactly. have some value. Exactly. And Brisbane's market currently is very, there's, there's limited stock. 
there's huge buyer demand. And even in the last couple of weeks, I've seen a massive increase from expats wanting to come home after the whole COVID thing. They're setting themselves up for if something happens again, having a property here so that they can easily transition. And also I've had numerous calls from interstate buyers who are now really, really focusing on moving up to Brisbane. But Another interesting thing that I've also seen in our marketplace is that a lot of local buyers in Brisbane are actually moving to the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> so, so we have expats and interstate people trying to move up to Queensland and then some Queenslanders are moving for a sea change. So it's been really interesting. So uh, how's the business been going uh, since you set it up? And when did you set it up? And how's it been going since that time? Yeah, I set up the buyer's agency in 2018, probably in March 2018. And I must admit my business hit the ground running and I, I, I probably didn't expect it. I probably wasn't set up for it. And it was something that just organically happened. I, as I said, it probably made sense for me to go back into the real estate sales component of the industry. However, just with local frustrations, I realized that the buyers really needed representation. And so when I launched the business, I just had an influx of clients immediately. So probably within the first two months, I was at capacity of my client list and it has just continued since then. And it wasn't a matter of hugely advertising my business or putting it out there. It was really just being part of a local community that really got behind me and rallied. And, you know, there was huge referral business. And of course I profiled on social media and things like that, but it was only this year when Jill started that I actually started advertising a little bit in regards to my business. Well, the issue is that the real estate business has been, real estate industry has been hit pretty hard by COVID-19. Uh, what sort of impact has that had on your business? Look, I haven't actually had a huge impact on my business. And, and once again, being in Brisbane inner city market, the buyer demand is just insane. What I did see was buyers who had larger properties to sell or some buyers who were a little bit insecure about job security, they dropped off my client list. But typically buyers who still needed to buy, so people who were renting or people who were upgrading because potentially they had another baby on the way or things like that, or who had already committed to selling um, prior to COVID, I still had them as clients. So realistically, we, we had a great quarter <laughs> coming through COVID, which was not expected. We didn't expect to. And, and then also coming out of COVID, we've rebounded really well. And I know this isn't necessarily the case for every market in Australia, but Brisbane currently is really performing quite well. Um, whether or not that will stay the course of time come September when stimulus packages drop off and things like that, um, who knows? It's a crystal ball sort of scenario, but I'd imagine that a lot more property is going to come on the market towards the end of the year and early next year. And that may be when our business drops off a little bit. But currently, because there's no stock in the market, um, we're really busy. Well, one of the issues, uh, too, is you've got rising unemployment and that will affect the market surely with uh, fewer yeah. buyers coming in. Yeah, 100%. And so are you, uh, are you prepared for that? Yes, I am going extremely hard on my business right now while our market is still strong. And um, I am definitely trying to save for a rainy day. But while it's good, I'm just going to continue on going. Uh, it's interesting that you're focusing on Brisbane. Are you looking at other markets as well? I mean, you, you said the Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast could be another one. Yeah, again, Sunshine Coast and Gold, Mar Gold Coast are performing extremely well. Um, typically, when our markets do go in Queensland, the coasts are the ones that go first. 
But currently, we've, we're seeing record prices throughout all of Queensland at the moment. Recently, there was a massive prestige sale in Brisbane um, of $13 million. And the market is still performing quite well. I don't expect that to continue, but, you know, once again, I'm hopeful. But, yeah, both the coast markets are performing relatively well as, as well. I mean, of course, there's pockets in Brisbane, which typically we don't deal in, the outer suburbs that are going to get affected a little bit more, especially with unemployment and also the stimulus packages dropping off. So it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but currently our prestige market is holding. That's interesting. I mean, have you looked at other interstate as well? Yeah, I mean, I know Sydney dropped off a little bit. I know Melbourne dropped off a little bit. But as I said, while the while the market is good here, I'm just running and trying to make money. So I haven't been paying a huge amount of attention to other states. All I know is is it's time here um, for us right now and the market's good and it's we've just got to get in and, and do what we can. Although potentially, if it uh, continues and if uh, the other markets do pick up, you could be looking at expanding. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be fantastic. I mean, last week I did three deals, so I've been very busy here. And, and look, if it continues this way, I'll definitely... Jill's been an amazing asset to our business and she's doing an amazing job on the south side of Brisbane and the inner west. So if, if we get to that stage, I'd definitely be looking at bringing on more people. That's pretty good. And it's, and it's quite a unique niche, isn't it? It is, 100%. And the other thing with buyer's agencies is it is a unique niche, but there's not a huge amount of buyer's agents that have a long industry experience. Typically, I guess the buyer's agencies that are performing really well and are doing well, they're, they're industry professionals. There, there tend to be a lot more buyer's agents coming out into the industry now who don't have experience and they're making the industry a little bit tricky. They're being pumped out. They haven't had real estate experience and they're just coming into the market. They're charging smaller fees and, you know, they're saying, they're claiming that, you know, they're a buyer's agent when, when really, unless you've got industry experience, um, they probably shouldn't be working in this space. Well, it'll be fascinating to watch and uh, Lauren will watch it with great interest and fantastic news. Looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. And now let's talk to ComSec Chief Economist, Craig James. Well, Craig, uh, what can we expect from the market for the week starting the 17th? Well, I think if we're looking at the economic data, I think the major focus will be on wages. The wage price index is coming out on Wednesday, and that's seen as somewhat the preeminent source of wage information here in Australia. Now, I suppose what we should say is that was always considered to be the preeminent source of wage data in Australia. The Reserve Bank Governor has poured a bit of cold water on it recently, saying that when he's looking at wage increases, he'll be looking at comments on wages received by the Reserve Bank business liaison process, as well as things like unit labour costs that come out of the economic growth equation, the National Accounts or GDP figures. So, uh, But certainly it comes around once a quarter. It does provide you know, sort of good indication about where, where wages are going. Now, at the Commonwealth Bank Group, our economists believe that wages rose by 0.8% in the December quarter, and that was 2.5% over the year. Now, 2.5% doesn't sound a lot, uh, particularly when you have a look at yes, the rate of inflation, the headline rate of inflation is at 3.5% and trim means at 2.6%. So it doesn't sound a whole lot, but it would actually be the highest level in seven years. And we do know that 
when the Reserve Bank is looking at interest rates at the moment, it's looking very closely at three major measures, inflation, jobs and wages. We know that uh, inflation is on the rise at the moment and headed towards uh, 3% for the underlying rate of trim meme. Uh, the job market, yes, is tight. But the last part of the equation is wages. And now if we start to get some solid wages, reading on wages, uh, some of the economists around town will start bringing forward their uh, expectations in terms of rate hikes. We've already had you know, so quite a number who were looking at 2023 or 2024 now saying, no, no, it's going to be this year, 2022, and could happen as early as May or June. May or June. That, that's quite extraordinary. And, and uh, so what, and how many break rises can we expect in that case? Well, I think when they start lifting interest rates, there will be a process. So starting probably the, the current cash rate is 0.1 of a percent. I think the first interest rate hike will be just 0.15 of a percent or 15 basis points. That'll take the, the rate up to a quarter of 1%. And then we'll start to uh, march in quarter percent increments. And uh, I think over a period of uh, 12 to 18 months, we could start to be uh, sort of seeing rates move up to, say, one and a quarter percent. So uh, I think households in Australia are prepared for it. Uh, there's certainly a significant amount of savings in place. People have got their, their buffers. People are paying off more than they need to. But uh, when the interest rates start rising, certainly uh, sort of people will be on guard. Obviously, in terms of interest rate rises, I mean, you're you're expecting to peak at 1.25%? Yeah, I think that's where they they move to. They move towards uh, what is a more neutral rate. And once you get to to that sort of level, then you can start to determine from there whether you move into a tightening phase or not. At the moment, we're running extraordinary loose monetary policy. And that will still be the case when, when interest rates are rising. So we do have to see rates rise by a fair bit more before we can say that it's not slowing the economy down significantly or it's not speeding it up. But there will be certainly a point of adjustment for people uh, who are paying off their, their home loans, as well as a, an adjustment for um, investors in either in the share market or any other asset market. The $64 question, of course, is how will this affect property prices? I noticed NAB last week was talking about uh, it affecting property price going down 10% next year and Westpac has been talking about it going down 14 percent what's your view about that well we think uh, we'll see um, uh, home prices uh, peak when um, we start to see interest rates starting to to rise so uh, we are starting to see early signs of a slowdown in the Sydney markets Brisbane and Adelaide are probably the strongest at the moment along with uh, Hobart and they'll hold up yes for a little bit longer But once uh, interest rates start to rise, I think we will start to see a peaking in terms of uh, the annual growth rate of home prices. Now, uh, we'll probably get more modest growth in home prices for this year. Still be recording something like, you know, sort of perhaps 5, 6 or 7% annual growth this year. But uh, next year we could see uh, declines of around about 5, 6 or 7% as interest rates rise. So... Certainly, yes, I'm not going down at the same sort of rate that they went up, but um, a correction to to be in line with the fact that interest rates are rising. Now, the the issue is, uh, so how long do you think, how long do you see interest rate, how long do you see this interest rate cycle going for? Well, I suppose we've got to begin the cycle first. Um, What the Reserve Bank wants to see is uh, evidence uh, that um, inflation is going to be maintained in the 
two to three percent target band. So there's a lot of uncertainties for, for uh, analysts out there as well as for the Reserve Bank. At the moment, we know that inflation has been rising because of supply supply chain type issues. We've got a headline rate of inflation at three and a half percent here in Australia, but it's not seven percent. It's not six or seven percent that we're seeing in other parts of the world. So uh, we've still got relatively contained inflation and. If we see some of the supply chain difficulties start to dissipate, we uh, see that the annual rate of inflation moves down a bit, you know, so towards the 2.5% band, you know, so again, the Reserve Bank might be a little bit more cautious. So what the Reserve Bank is waiting for, and want to see confirmation that prices are rising, then they want to see the, the fact that wages are going to be rising at anywhere between a 3 and 3.5% 3 annual rate now. Even with the uh, the coming week, the expectation that um, wages will rise, we're still for forecasting the annual growth rate only at 2.5%. So it's still short of what is probably the holy grail, 3% annual growth in, in terms of wages. So uh, there's still a fair bit of uncertainties to be able to work through. Is the job market going to stay tight with the, um, uh, the borders reopening and more migrants coming through? Uh, inflation, will it continue to rise or will... Supply chain difficulties end, and wages are very much in, in focus at the moment. Is the tight job market going to continue? Is it going to push up wages? And that, does that justify higher interest rates? So a few things still to play out. So, I mean, while there is an expectation that the unemployment figure will soon have a three in front of it, we don't know how long that will last with uh, borders being reopened. Well, yeah, there are a degree of uncertainties out there, that's what the Reserve Bank uh, governors are focused on. So we're going to be looking at um, inflation, jobs and wages, very much the case. But as is always the case, we're going to be looking at activity indicators as well. There's a lot happening at the moment, and uh, we've just got to be on guard to, to see what that means, particularly in terms of the, the business sense. If uh, inflation is rising and businesses haven't got the ability to be able to pass it on, that affects their profitability and that affects their ability to be able to hire workers. So in the coming week, uh, watch for things like uh, construction work done, which comes out on Wednesday as well. Uh, give us an idea of activity in, the, in the, um, the building sector. We've got business investment figures coming out on Thursday as well. Uh, the invest, investment expectations are rising quite significantly. They're up almost 20% over the, the past year. So if business investment looks as though it's going to continue to rise significantly over the next year, that will underpin growth in the economy, underpin. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. 
and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Things like inflation underpin things like um, demand for jobs and wages. So watch out for that one in the coming week also. And it's not only the wage price index that we've got coming out on Wednesday. On Thursday, we've got another measure of wages average weekly earnings. Now, that's running at a much slower growth rate at the moment than the wage price index. It's sitting around about 1.5%. But um, uh, in the current environment, all things wages are very much focused on the moment. It's not just uh, the wage price index, but it's things like uh, the average weekly earnings, unit labour costs, and the Reserve Bank indications, uh, their business liaison uh, process, and see what Uh, comments are being received by businesses about what's happening at the wage level. Now, you're saying wages will uh, probably peak at about 2.5%. I mean, that's better than what it was. But when was the last time wages were up that high? Well, it was seven years ago when we saw the wage price index sitting at 2.5%. But we've got to remember, if we go back, you know, sort of 10, 12, 15 years, years, that it was quite um, regular to see wages growing anything between 3 and 4%. We haven't seen that for quite some time. In fact, it was only a couple of quarters ago that we were down at record lows in terms of wage growth, around about 1.5%. So 2.5% is what we're thinking in terms of wage price index in, in the coming week for the December quarter figures. Um, but where the Reserve Bank wants to see wages is back where they were, as I said, you know, sort of decade, 12, uh, 15 years ago, somewhere around about 3%, 3.5%. And then they, they believe that uh, employees are getting an adequate compensation in terms of their effort. And uh, so, and that would affect the Reserve Bank's decision on uh, hiking rates? Certainly, yes. Yeah. So the wages is very much a driving element at the moment, together with the, the job market, the unemployment rate, as well as inflation. Now, the other, the other interesting thing is uh, you talked about inflation before and that affecting costs. I've noticed with this uh, latest profit reporting season, while the profits are coming in, I've noticed costs have been increasing and companies are reporting that. Have you noticed that? Well, yes, and um, uh, I suppose you're either in two camps, you know, sort of if you're a business. If you're in a business that's got a degree of pricing power that you can pass on uh, the costs, uh, then it's not so bad. Your revenues are rising and your costs are rising at the same rate. But um, if you're in the situation where you've got very strong competition between players, you may not have the ability to be able to lift your prices willy-nilly. You, know, you may be looking closely at your opposition to see what's happening. So I think what every business is trying to do at the moment is that they recognise that there's price pressures there, prices are going up, and they want to maintain their, their costs. So there's very much a close watch on expenses or costs in the current environment by, by business. Well, that, that's quite extraordinary. So uh, we'll be watching the wages figures very, very closely. And that will give us a guide on to where the Reserve Bank will be heading. Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly. Well, Craig, uh, thank you very much for your time. Not a problem at all. Thank you. So what's happening in the news? Well, Australian motorists may soon have to dig a little deeper to pay for their fuel after global prices rose to fresh 70-year highs amid mounting worries about a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Oil prices rose more than 2% overnight with benchmark indices near the symbolic US $100 a barrel mark. 
Brent crude, for instance, rose 2.2% to US $96.48 in US trading. Australia's retail petrol prices are already at record levels, averaging 176.9 cents a litre in the week to 13th of February, according to the Australian Institute of Petroleum. Peter Coolery, the head of media at NRMA in New South Wales, expects average prices to rise to 180 cents a litre or higher in coming days, noting Brisbane prices had already reached 192 cents for unleaded. And Australia's biggest bank, the Commonwealth Bank, has brought its rate hike predictions forward from August this year to June. CBA now believes the Reserve Bank of Australia will hike rates by 0.15% in June, followed by three more 0.25% increases to finish the year with a 1% cash rate. CBA's head of Australian economics, Gareth Aird, said CBA also expected another hike in the first three months of next year to bring the rate to 1.25%. And the Australian National Audit Office has criticised the management of a federal grants program used to improve community safety, finding it favours government-held seats and the decisions are often made without clear and recorded justifications. Peter Dutton was identified as a minister who approved two grants in 2018 which did not meet selection criteria. An assistant minister was also found in the order to award five applicants a total of $1.3 million for applications which did not meet the criteria. The $184 million Safer Communities Fund was established in 2016 to address crime and antisocial behaviour by providing schools or risk organisations with money for more security cameras or streetlights. The ANAO found almost 60% of all projects funded since 2016 have been in coalition-held electorates, compared to 27% in Labor electorates. And Australia Post has defended paying its top executives bonuses, averaging more than $160,000, with Chief Executive Lucio Di Bartolomeo saying the payments were part of employees' remuneration packages. And a question from Labor in Senate estimates over average top-up payments of 168000 for employees earning between $300,000 and $400,000 a year, certainly worth more than a few Cartier watches. Mr Bartolomeo responded, We certainly don't see them as bonuses at all. Tasmanian Labor Senator Anne Urquhart said the rise in some employees' bonuses was six times the rate of inflation. Mr Bartolomeo said this was because performance varied year to year and those with such an increase in pay had simply performed very well. He said the incentive payments were independently benchmarked against other industries and the remuneration was set to attract quality people to the organisation. And Treasurer Josh Frydenberg has made clear the federal government's lower middle income tax offset is not a permanent part of the income tax system, giving him scope to push back on pressure from the coalition ranks to offer a pre-election sweetener to millions of voters in the budget. As Labor signalled it would not press to extend the offset itself ahead of the looming election and domestic petrol prices pushed all-time highs, Mr Frydenberg likened the tax refund to stimulus measures needed to support the economy through the COVID-19 recession. More than 10 million people received the offset, which is worth $1,080 a year, and has been extended to the last two budgets as stimulus to support the economy through the coronavirus recession. The economy has recovered much more quickly from the recession than expected. And supply shortages have hit super funds. According to estimates from leading superannuation research house Super Ratings, the median balance option returned minus 2.1% in January following the market sell-off, despite some of the initial losses being recovered towards the end of the month, reducing the negative impact. The supply shortages have seen the price of goods and services such as food, automotive, fuel and healthcare bearing the brunt of the impact. And house prices will fall 14% over 2023 and 2024 as strong inflation forces the Reserve Bank of Australia to start lifting interest rates from August this year, according to Westpac. After notching up 22% growth last year, 
spurred by the record low of 0.1% cash rate, national house prices will eke out just 2% growth in 2022, as early gains are offset towards the end of the year. And James Packer is set to become $3.26 billion richer after Crown Resorts accepted an offer to sell its entire Australian casino empire to a US private equity firm. Crown Resorts has accepted an $8.9 billion takeover offer from the world's largest private equity firm, Blackstone. Under the terms of the offer, Crown shareholders will receive $13.10 a share at a 32% premium to Crown's closing price on November 18, 2021, when the offer was first made. The Crown Board has unanimously recommended shareholders vote in favour of the transaction. The $8.9 billion Valentine's Day engagement between casino giant Crown Resort markets giant Blackstone comes after the end of a period of deal-making that has been at times exhausting, exhilarating and excruciating for all the parties involved. If shareholders and state-based gambling regulators approve the deal, Crown Resorts will be delisted, with Blackstone taking control of the flagship Melbourne South Bank complex, its Perth property, and the $2.3 billion hotel and casino tower at Sydney's Barangaroo. Some observers have expressed concern over Crown falling into the hands of private equity, which does not face scrutiny of publicly listed company. Packer's hand was effectively forced given last year's Victorian Royal Commission, which recommended cutting his stake in Crown from 37% to less than 5%, which the state government accepted along with all the other recommendations. The New South Wales government also backed all suggestions stemming from its explosive 2020 inquiry, including limiting stakes in a casino licensee to 10% unless approved by a new powerful independent casino commission. Both recommendations came after Mr Packer's influence on Crown was labelled disastrous by the New South Wales investigation, as he was a driving force to secure more of the Chinese high roll of junket tours at the centre of the gaming giant's money laundering scandal. Mr Packer has been steadily retreating from public corporate life, stepping down as Crown's chairman in 2015, quitting the board in 2018, and then trying to sell a 19.9% in the company to Hong Kong gambling giant Melco Resorts, an ill-fated rent transaction that only got halfway through when the New South Wales inquiry was launched. Mr Packer's shareholding is worth about $3.2 billion and represents his last major financial link to Australia. The Packer family has been a major shareholder of Crown and its forerunner, publishing and broadcasting limited since the mid-1990s. Though Mr Packer once hoped to make Crown a luxury brand spanning casinos in Australia, Macau and the United States, the regulatory scrutiny caused by the group's misconduct led to him ending his involvement in Crown's affairs. And former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has been appointed Optus's new Managing Director of Enterprise, Business and Institution, as Telco looks to take a greater share of the enterprise market. Berejiklian, who resigned from politics after the state's anti-corruption watchdog revealed it was investigating her over a potential breach of public trust last year, will take up the newly created role on February the 28th. The role will focus on unlocking a greater share of the multi-billion dollar enterprise, business and institutional markets. Optus said. Berejiklian spent almost five years in office, becoming Premier in January 2017, after serving as Treasurer in the Baird Government and Transport Minister in the O'Farrell Government. She also worked for the Commonwealth Bank prior to being elected as a member for Willoughby in 2003. And Libby Chaplin heads up the new battery recycling scheme, B-Cycle. B-Cycle will initially cover the smaller alkaline and lithium batteries that come inside common household items like television remotes and power tools. It has teamed up with major retailers including Woolworths, Coles, Bunnings, Officeworks and Aldi to put battery collection bins at thousands of their stores. And it's a profit reporting season. Fortescue reported underlying EBITDA of US $4.8 billion for the six months ending 31st of December. BHP's revenue from continuing operations rose 27% to US $30.5 billion, while profits soared 144% 
to US $9.44 billion. Cardinale Property Trust reported statutory profit of $14.1 million for the half year to December 31. Its funds from operations rose 16.6% to $12.9 million. GWA Group's revenue rose 2.1% to $201.3 million, while EBIT firm 1% to $30.2 million. Net profit rose 0.3% to $18.6 million. Sims reported a 73.9% increase in sales revenue from the prior corresponding period, with an EBIT of $361.7 million in half-year 2022, 541.3% higher than the previous year. Adore Beauty's interim revenue increased 18% to a record of $113.1 million, and the EBITDA margin came in at 3.3%. Personal and auto lender Manny3 has reported net profit up 29.6% to $25.8 million on income, up 34.5% to $91.4 million for the six months of December 31st, 2021. Beach Petroleum grew net profits after tax 66% to $212.9 million for the six months to the end of December from the same period of the prior year, following a surge in the price of oil. Borel reported sales revenue from continuing operations of $1.5 billion for the half, up 1%, while EBIT, excluding property, was down 23% to $78 million. Premium reported EBITDA for the half of $7.5 million, up 6%. JB Hi-Fi's revenue slid 1.6% to $4.9 billion, while net profit fell 9.4% to $287.9 million. Horizon's revenue rose 1% to $1.5 billion, while EBITDA fell 2% to $726.9 million. Net profit slid 4% to $256.9 million. Ordinate reported a 33.3% increase in revenue for the half year ending December 31st to US $14.8 million. That's $20.2 million Aussie, while gross profit increased 30.2% to US $11.2 million. Key Path Education confirmed it will hit its prospectus forecast for the 2022 financial year after reporting first half revenue of US $56.9 million and a net loss of US $13.5 million. Carsale.com revenues rose 21.6% to $241.9 million, while profit for the half year climbed 22.3% to $74.9 million. Bendigo and Adelaide Bank's revenue climbed 8.5% to $965.1 million, and net profit rose 31.7% to $321.3 million. Sky City's revenue fell 35.6% to New Zealand, 89.8 million, that's 270 million Aussie, and net profit slid 143.3% to a New Zealand $33.7 million loss. Diversified property giant the GPT Group returned in a $1.42 billion annual profit. Tech company Reckon posted a 7.8% increase in net profit after tax of $7.9 million on the prior corresponding period. EBITDA were $29.5 million, up 1.4% driven by cloud-based products. Revenues increased 1.6% to $71.3 million, with subscription-based revenues accounting for $65.3 million. Ansel's sales rose 7.6% to $1.01 billion, but EBIT fell by 24.3% to $111 million. Seven West's revenue from ordinary activities rose 27% to $818.4 million, while net profits firmed 3.2% to $120.5 million. Group EBITDA was up 30.5% to $215.3 million. Atomos reported first half revenue of $40.9 million, a record interim result, and up 25%. Elmo Software reported group annualised recurring revenue at the end of the first half of $98.3 million. Property group Dexas increased net profit after tax by 82% half-year 2022 to $803.2 million. 
Six sales revenues from continuing operations rose 59% to 517.2 million, while reported profit from continuing operations was up 152% to 126.7 million. Total reported profit rose 32% to 88.1 million. Lifestyle communities reported an 83.4% jump in revenues to 93.9 million in the first half of 2022, with earnings before tax of 40 million, up 87.8 million. Net profit after tax rose 95% to 27.5 million. Tassel Group's revenue rose 43.3% to 419.1 million, while EBITDA climbed 14.1% to 89.5 million, and net profit firmed 10.3% to 31.2 million. EBOS Group reported revenue of 5.3 billion for the first half, up 12.8%, while its underlying net profit after tax climbed 15.8% to 109.3 million. Statutory net profit after tax was up 9.7% to 101.9 million. Fletcher Building reported revenue of 4.06 billion for the first half of financial year 2022, up 2% from the prior year, leading to a net profit after tax of 171 million, which is 41% higher than the prior year. Breville's revenue rose 23.6% to 878.7 million, while EBITDA firmed 16.6% to 125.5 million, and net profit advanced 25.1%. To 77.7 million. Emico's revenue climbed 16% in the first half compared to the prior half to 373 million, while its operating EBITDA rose 2% to 122 million. CSL's revenue rose 5% to US 6.04 billion, however, profit slid 3% to 1.76 billion. On a constant currency basis, profit fell 5%. Prosper recorded record half yearly origins of 315.1 this half up 75% of the prior corresponding period. SG Fleet's revenue rose 79.9 million, however profit only rose 16.6% to 29.7 million. Treasury Wines reported earnings before interest tax, SCARA and material items, EBITS, declined 7% to 262.4 million in the first half. Nearmap's revenue rose 23% to 67.6 million, while its net loss grew by 27% to 11.9 million. The Synergy Centre's revenue from ordinary activities fell 0.1% to 581.5 million in the six months of December 31, but the company reported a $650.2 million statutory net profit after tax for the period, a 265% improvement on the prior year's $394.1 million loss. Santos's revenue rose 39%. To US 4.7 billion, while net profits soared 284% to US 658 million. Underlying profit climbed 230% to US 946 million. Redbubble reported first half revenue down 18% to 341.6 million, including artist revenue of 53.5 million, down 17%. Its net loss was 1 million from a profit of 41 million in the previous corresponding period. Software business ReadyTech has reported net profit up 336.2% to 5.8 million on sales, up 63.7% to 35.7 million for the half-year period to December 31st. EML payments grew revenues by a fifth to 114.4 million in the six months of the end of December, compared to the same period in the prior year, while earnings eased slightly. Earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortisation eased 4% to 26.9 million. Netwealth's revenues rose 17.1% to 84.7 million, however net profit slid at 1.8% to 27.1 million. Aurora's underlying net profit after tax before significant items climbed 12.9% on the prior corresponding period to 102.7 million. Evolution Mining's revenue slid 9% to 
than what 898.6 million, while EBITDA dipped 24% to 393.3 million, and statutory net profits slid 60%, 90.8 million. PAC Group's statutory net loss after tax was 20.8 million, compared to a statutory net profit after tax of 49.9 million in the previous corresponding period. Underlying net profit after tax for the period was 39.3 million, compared to 52.1 million in the previous corresponding period. Revenue for Health Medicus rose 40.3% to 44.3 million, while net profit climbed 52.7% to 20.7 million. Corporate travel management reported a net loss of $8.6 million for the first half, narrowing from $36.4 million after revenue more than doubled to $158.1 million from $56.5 million. Hotel booking software company SiteMinder has entered a new chapter, turning the page on the travel industry's pandemic doldrums to record an 8.9% revenue jump to $55 million in the first half. While SiteMinder's revenue increased, so too did its statutory net loss for the six months of December 31. This hit $87 million, thanks to a revaluation of derivatives on preference shares when it was still a private company. On an underlying basis, the company's net loss was $18.6 million, as it continues to invest to accelerate growth. And that's it for this week. And next week, I'll be talking to Jussi Kajalainen at Valtatech with his tips for business resiliency and future-proofing your procurement operations. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest jobs figures. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultrasoft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.